Well, good morning to you all. I hope I'm not the first one to say this to you. If you're new, I'm Jamie, one of the pastors here, and it is my honor and my privilege to invite you to point your Bibles to the book of Lamentations chapter 3. Lamentations chapter 3. If you don't have a Bible, there should be one um, provided for you in the pew in front of you. And if you're using the Black Bible, Lamentations chapter 3 will be found on page 688 and following. Lamentations chapter 3. Just got to say, I'm really glad you came back. <laughs> We're uh, preaching a sermon series through Lamentations and y'all came back. So uh, that makes me real happy as a preacher. I'm really glad to be here. Um, what we're going to do is we'll read the first uh, 20 verses or so, and then ask for the Lord's help on our time together, and then we'll work our way through this big chapter, the middle point of the book of Lamentations, Lamentations chapter 3. Let's, uh, let's go ahead and read it together, starting at the beginning. This is the word of the Lord. I am the man who has seen affliction under the rod of his wrath. He has driven and brought me into darkness without any light. Surely against me he turns his hand again and again the whole day long. He has made my flesh and my skin waste away. He has broken my bones. He has besieged and enveloped me with bitterness and tribulation. He has made me dwell in darkness like the dead of long ago. He has walled me about so that I cannot escape. He has made my chains heavy. Though I call and cry for help, he shuts out my prayer. He has blocked my ways with blocks of stones. He has made my paths crooked. He is a bear lying in wait for me, a lion in hiding. He turned aside my steps and tore me to pieces. He has made me desolate. He bent his bow and set me as a target for his arrow. He drove into my kidneys the arrows of his quiver. I've become the laughing stock of all peoples, the object of their taunts all day long. He has filled me with bitterness. He has sated me with wormwood. He has made my teeth grind on gravel and made me cower in ashes. My soul is bereft of peace. I have forgotten what happiness is. So I say, my endurance has perished. So has my hope from the Lord. Remember my afflictions and my wanderings, the wormwood and the gall. My soul continually remembers it and is bowed down within me. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, send out your light and your truth and let them lead us. Let them correct us. Let them encourage us. When we are bowed down, build us up by the power of your gospel. Teach us these, your truths, from your most holy word. For yours are the words of eternal life. Amen. Is the gospel you believe? able to hold you up when the phone call comes, there's been an accident. 
the doctor wants to see you as soon as possible. There's been a shooting. Is the gospel you believe able to hold you up when some tragedy sucks the air out of the room and you can't breathe? This morning, I'm going to endeavor, by God's grace, to show you that it is. The Christian, the gospel you believe in is not only able to hold you up in the day of tragedy, that is the very reason it exists. I want you to know, dear church, what to do on the day when that call comes. Because, brothers and sisters, the call is coming. Sooner or later, that call is coming. And, and it may sound counterintuitive to say, but you need it to come. When suffering strips away all hope, Call to mind the truth about God and put your hope in him. That's the big idea this morning. When suffering strips away hope, call to mind the truth about God and put your hope in him. That is what I want to leave with you this morning. That on the day when you get punched in the gut or stabbed in the back, you need the book of Lamentations. You need Lamentations 3. You need Lamentations 3.21. You need the word this in Lamentations 3.21. I pray that the Lord would write Lamentations 3.21 on your heart, but this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. Lamentations 3.21 is uh, what we call the turn. In every lament, there is a turn. When the sufferer turns from her pain to her Savior, It's our Lord's nevertheless in the garden. Father, take this cup from me, but nevertheless, not your will, but not my will, but yours be done. The turn. This morning we're going to sit with that word this in verse 21. What is the this that we call to mind that gives us hope? Four points to draw from this lament. Four things that to let happen during suffering. All of them meant to convince us that the gospel we believe is able to hold us on the day of greatest suffering. So four things to let happen when we suffer. I'll explain them as we go along. The first thing to let happen when you suffer is to let your strength and let your hope perish. Let your strength and let your hope perish. We'll get there. Look at verse one again. The poet the writer of the book of Lamentations says, I am the man who has seen affliction under the rod of his wrath. 
If you've been with us in this series, you'll remember that Lamentations is a collection of five different poems, and four of these five poems follow an acrostic structure. I've explained what that means before. Each stanza of the poem begins with successive letters in the Hebrew alphabet. So if this were in English, the first stanza would start with A, and then the next stanza with B, and so on. This is our suffering, A to Z. This whole book is like climbing a mountain. It works its way up to chapter 3 being the high point, and the middle of chapter 3 being the peak, and then walks its way back down in chapters 4 and 5. In chapter 3, the poem picks up pace. The acrostic is tripled. In each stanza, A, 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 B, 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 C, 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 as the poem picks up pace. And this is why chapter 3, for example, is, is 66 verses long versus 22 verses in the other four chapters. This is our final climb to the summit. You'll notice, too, that Lady Zion, who has spoken in chapter 1 and chapter 2 has gone silent. She will not speak again for the remainder of this book. The poet speaks, now not as a sorrowful observer of the suffering, but as an empathetic participant in the suffering. I am the man who has seen affliction under the rod of his wrath. The poet, the author of Lamentations, is not guilty himself of the sins which have occasioned the suffering and judgment of God in Lamentations, but he is empathizing with those who are. The poet warned God's people, this is what would happen if you didn't listen. And here he sits amidst the rubble of God's judgment under the same dark cloud as those who've incurred that judgment. His empathy for his people is a foreshadowing of the Lord Jesus Christ who would ultimately and finally see the full affliction of wrath under the rod of God for sinners. In verses 2 to 6, which we just read, the Lord is driving the poet hard. He's driven into darkness. God has turned his hand against his servant. His body is broken. He has surrounded him all around. Bitterness and distress is his reality. God has buried him in darkness. And escape is impossible. In verses 7 to 9, the Lord closes in on the poet, walling him in, as it were, making his chains heavy, shutting out his prayer. He blocks off the poet's escape, twisting his path so that he becomes an easy target. In verses 10 to 13, the poet paints the Lord as a hunter. He's like a bear waiting in, in lying in wait. He's like a lion ready to pounce. And he drags the poet off of the path and draws his bow and releases the arrow and pierces the poet's side. The poet becomes a laughing stock, the object of scorn against the people's taunting. The Lord makes him drink wormwood, a bitter plant often used as a metaphor for bitterness. In verse 16, the poet is made to grind his teeth on gravel and cower in ashes. Powerful images and illustrations of his suffering. He's in agony. His soul is bereft of peace. He says, I don't even remember what it's like to be happy. Have you ever felt this way? I know some of you have. You're not alone. Notice in verse 18, He comes to the point where he says, my endurance has perished, and so has my hope from the Lord. Brother and sister, when the Lord has laid a heavy hand upon your life, here's the first thing to let happen. Let your strength and your hope perish. 
Suffering has a way of stripping us of self-reliance, of dismantling our hope in anything in this world. Let it happen. Sit with it. This is by design. Poet says, remember my affliction and wonderings. Verse 20, he says, my soul continually remembers it and is bowed down within me. He has set his mind on his afflictions and he is bowed down. And the question that we must be asking is why? Why would God allow such a thing? Why would the Lord himself, the God of all glory and goodness, treat him such like this? It's a good question. And there are answers in the verses that follow. Suffering is hard. But that doesn't mean it's bad. Here's the second thing to let happen when you suffer. Let the Lord be your hope and your portion. We'll see this in verses 21 to 24. Pick up reading in verse 21. But. But. But this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I will hope in him. So why would the Lord allow Strength and hope to perish from his servant's life? Well, one answer is so that he would be the strength and portion of his servant. When the Lord refused relief to the Apostle Paul, he gave him his reason. Do you remember what it was? My strength is perfected in your weakness. When your strength is gone, whose strength will you look to? But that's verse 24. We got to go through verse 21 to 23 first. We got to make the turn first. Verse 21. This I call to mind. And therefore, I have hope. Here's the turn. PBC, when you're suffering, when your hope, when your strength has perished, call these truths about God to mind. Train your soul to turn to him. Turn from verse 20 to verse 21. From the soul that is absorbed with his own affliction, he fills his mind with the truths of God. And the louder the suffering the louder the truth about God must be. So when your pain is telling you that God has given up on you, call this truth to mind. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. When the enemy says God won't forgive you after what you did, are you serious again? You tell that enemy his mercy is new Every morning. When your flesh says God won't keep his promises, you call verse 23 to mind and say, oh yes he will. In your pain, in your suffering, God's love, God's mercy has not ended. It never will. 
But in the midst of suffering, it's sometimes so hard to, to see. Sometimes it's, it's just, we just forget the truth. What we know is true about God, it feels less true when you're in the thick of it. When you've been buried under the ground, when a dark and heavy cloud is placed over your life, it's hard to see. But Christian, don't you trust in what you see. And don't you trust in what you feel. You trust in the truth of God and what God has promised. We walk by faith, not by sight. And we know that hope does not depend upon a change of circumstance. It depends upon a change in focus. Hope does not depend on a change in your situation. It, it depends upon a change in what you see. And what you need to see is God in his faithfulness. Set your mind on things that are above, not things that are on the earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. Colossians 2, 3, Colossians 3, 2 to 3. And so the poet says, the Lord is my portion. He's my hope. The Lord is my portion. At the end of the day, he's what I want after all. That's what I want. He's all I want. Because if I have him, I have everything. You can take everything from me as long as I have him. I still have everything. He's what I want. He's my portion. This, this is what you read in your Bible reading plan yesterday morning. Psalm 73, 26. My heart and my flesh may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. You know what makes heaven heaven? Not the absence of suffering. The presence of Christ. So this is the turn. And it involves filling your mind and meditating upon the truths about God, about his character, about his attributes, about his work. What if... The whole point of suffering is to convince you that no, actually you can live with God and God alone. There are certain colors and hues of God's mercy which can only be perceived when you are under a dark cloud. Would you ever know the strength of God's arms until he has to pick you up off the floor? Would you ever know the healing power of gospel forgiveness if, until he has to forgive you for a knife wound in the back and heal that wound? Brothers, be honest. In your pride, would you ever turn to God to fix something if you still believed you could fix it? This tough guy demeanor that we put on, it's a mask. You know it, I know it, we all know it. We just keep putting it on. Our swagger is a farce. And if you don't know it, a phone call's coming. And in God's love for you and for his glory over your life, he will snap the back of your pride and rebuild you with humility. So sisters, you be honest too. Would you ever know the sufficiency of God if he let you Keep believing that you have it all together? What if God, in allowing your life to come apart at the seams, is because he wants to re-stitch you up with better and more beautiful material? What if there is a greater blessing, not in the absence of your suffering, but in the presence of your Savior? Savior? 
And so in the midst of suffering, call these truths to mind. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. No matter what I think, no matter what I feel, it never ceases. It will always be this way. His love has not ended. It never ends. No, bad, no matter how bad, no matter how big my sin, God's mercies never come to an end. You're never going to outsin His grace. The night might be dark, but joy comes in the morning because new mercies are available every morning. Great may be your faithlessness, but we just sang about it. Greater still is his faithfulness. So yes, suffering is hard. But that doesn't mean that it's bad. For the Christian, suffering is being used for your good. Take a look at the next stanza, verse 25. The Lord is good to those who wait for him, to the soul who seeks him. It is good that one should wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. It is good for a man that he bear the yoke in his youth. Remember, I said there's a tripled acrostic, the same letter repeated three times in each stanza. Verses 25 to 27 all start with the same word, good, in the original. Good is the Lord to those who wait for him. Good it is to wait quietly for the salvation of God. Good it is for a man to bear his affliction in his youth. Good, good, good. God is always good. God is always doing good, 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 good. He's just driving that into our ears. So wait, church. When you suffer, wait quietly for him. Wait for his salvation. Verse 27. The poet says, it's good for a young man to bear the yoke of affliction in his youth. It's good. Now, why would that be? Well, there are many lessons that suffering teaches young men. Humility, for example, patience, for example, grace, for example. You see, a young man may believe that the ship is seaworthy, but the old man knows it, having sailed it through many storms. The young man may believe that God works all things for good, but the old man knows it. He's seen it. He's been forced to wait on it. God in his wisdom doesn't always tell us what he's doing in affliction. I would argue from my own experience, he rarely tells us what he's doing in affliction. We just have to trust him. And notice what the poet instructs young men to do when this yoke of affliction is laid upon them. Verse 28. Young man, let him sit alone in silence when it is laid upon him. Let him put his mouth in the dust. There may be yet hope. Let him give his cheek to the one who strikes and let him be filled with insults. So young man, in affliction, in suffering, in conflict, sit alone in silence. Put your mouth in the dirt. For so often, young men and those who are young in the Lord speak too soon of what they do not know. And Proverbs 18, 13 says, if one gives an answer before he hears, it is his folly and shame. The reality is that there are some kinds of certainty which must be earned. God gave us two ears and one mouth. Under affliction, fill your mouth with dirt. 
to protect yourself and to protect others from the folly of forming an opinion without all of the facts. When the Lord has laid a heavy hand upon your life, Christian, be patient. Wait patiently. Wait quietly. If someone has slapped you in the cheek, what did the Lord tell us to do? But to turn the other cheek also. Give your cheek to the one who strikes. Let the insults come. When you are reviled, be like your master and do not revile in return, but entrust yourself to him who judges justly. When you've been stabbed in the back, when you've been misrepresented and lied about, entrust that matter to the Lord and leave it there. God's a better judge than you are. And he has all the facts. Retaliation is folly. A counterpunch hurts two people and helps zero people. Oh, but pastor, i got to do something about this. Justice has to be done. Justice will be done. Not by you. And not in your way. Not in your timing. But justice will be done. Vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. Let's look at verse 31. For the Lord will not cast off forever. But though he cause grief, he will have compassion according to the abundance of his steadfast love. For he does not afflict from his heart or grieve the children of men. The truth about God that we call to mind is that God does not afflict from his heart. Meaning he does not delight in the suffering of his people. But like a good father, he disciplines those he loves. Suffering is for their good. Isn't this what Paul told us in 2 Corinthians chapter 4? For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. Yes, weeping may last for the night, but joy comes in the morning. With new mercies comes new joys. Suffering is hard. But that doesn't mean it's bad. And for the Christian, it's being used by God for good. And so, when you suffer, let your strength and let your hope perish. And let the Lord become your strength and your hope, your portion. Point number three. Let suffering be your teacher. Let suffering be your teacher. Now we walk back down the mountain as we pick up reading in verse 34. To crush underfoot all the prisoners of the earth, to deny a man justice in the presence of the Most High, to subvert a man in his lawsuit, the Lord does not approve. Who has spoken And it came to pass, unless the Lord has commanded it. Is it not from the mouth of the Most High that good and bad come? Why should a living man complain, a man, about the punishment of his sins? All suffering is a result of sin. Some suffering is a result of just living in a world that's been wrecked by sin, poisoned by sin. Some suffering is a result of personal sin, the Lord's discipline. Well, this is the case of Lady Zion in the book of Lamentations. She did not heeded the voice of God through the prophets that God sent to her. And as we saw last week, the Lord employs the least severe means to turn her away from her rebellion and turn her, and turn her back to himself. That her suffering was meant by God to turn her back to him. Look at verse 40. Let us test 
and examine our ways and return to the Lord. The poet addresses Lady Zion now. He's saying to her, test and examine your ways. As I said, not all suffering is a result of personal sin, but some of it is. And so when we suffer, let us become introspective. Is this suffering a result of my sin? The psalmist prayed like this. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. And see if there is any grievous way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. The point of God bringing destruction upon Jerusalem was to strip away everything. The least severe means to get them to return to God. And their suffering was their teacher to convince them There is nothing good for you outside of God. He is the author of life. And all other gods will lead to death. So their suffering was meant to teach them this. To examine themselves and to repent of their sin. To teach us to call upon the Lord. If you're here and you're not a Christian... I'm sure you've already worked this out by now, but you know life is, life is terminal. <laughs> life is temporary. It's going to end someday. And it's filled with suffering. And just think this through. If there is no God, or if there is a God, but he's distant and disinterested, then suffering is meaningless. But the Bible teaches that there is a God, And that he isn't distant. And that he isn't disinterested. No, much to the contrary. He's very much near and very much interested. He sent his own son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross to save sinners from their sin. And when you turn to Jesus Christ in faith, confessing your sins, you're forgiven of your sins. And as Pastor Brent mentioned earlier, you're given the very righteousness of Christ. And then whatever suffering comes into your life as a Christian, it is never meaningless. It always has a purpose. It is always the Lord using it for your good, for your eternal good. So turn to Jesus Christ today. Repent of your sins. After the service is over today, talk with someone who looks like a Christian. Tell them you'd like to become a Christian. Let's pick up reading verse 41. Let us lift up our hearts and hands to God in heaven. We have transgressed and rebelled and you have not forgotten. You have wrapped yourself with anger and pursued us, killing without pity. You have wrapped yourself with a cloud so that no prayer can pass through. You have made us scum and garbage among the peoples. All our enemies open their mouths against us. Panic and pitfall have come upon us. Devastation and destruction. My eyes flow with rivers of tears because of the destruction of the daughter of my people. My eyes will flow without ceasing, without respite, until the Lord from heaven looks down and sees. My eyes cause me grief at the fate of all the daughters of my city. I've been hunted like a bird by those who were my enemies without cause. They flung me alive into the pit and cast stones on me. Water closed over my head and I said, I am lost. The poet is basically just recapitulating everything he's already said. As I said, we're walking down the backside of the mountain now. But then a change comes in verse 55. I called on your name, O Lord, from the depths of the pit. You heard my plea. Do not close your ear to my cry for help. You came near when I called on you and you said, do not fear. Here's the change. He prays and the Lord hears. Earlier in the poem, none of his prayers would get through. But in verse 56, the Lord hears, the Lord draws near, the Lord speaks. It's the closest that we come in the book of Lamentations to God actually speaking. Let 
Though God, though God may be the one who drove us into the darkness where we can't see, the Lord sees just fine. And though suffering may bring us low, it will never bring us so low that he can't reach us. Suffering is a teacher. It teaches us to pray. You know what prayer is? Prayer is the ground war of your soul against self-reliance. It is your most honest admission about what is most true of you, that you're not God. But you're weak and you're needy. You're creaturely. A prayerless man is a man poisoned by pride. And prayer is the antidote. Because prayer just simply admits, I can't. But you can. I, I don't have what it takes. But you do. Suffering teaches us to pray. What else does suffering teach us? Suffering teaches us that God is enough. That God is sufficient in all things and in all ways. Suffering teaches us that God will bring eternal weight of glory out of every light momentary affliction. Suffering teaches us that God loves us more than we could possibly imagine. Suffering teaches us humility. As we're forced to wait on him in silence. For there is much we don't know. There is much we don't understand. Suffering teaches us to trust in the Lord on the easy days and on the difficult ones. Suffering teaches us that God is good. And that he will have his way. Suffering teaches us what one dear sister told me this last week. We're... When it's all said and done, we're just unworthy servants doing what we should have done. Suffering teaches us to be introspective as we test ourselves and examine ourselves and we ask the Lord to expose any wickedness and grievous way in us and then lead us to the way everlasting. Suffering is a good teacher. One more point as we wrap things up. In suffering... Let the Lord be your defender. Look at verse 58. You have taken up my cause, O Lord. You have redeemed my life. Christian, you don't need a defender. You already have one. And you don't need to defend yourself. Your defender is better at defending you than you are. He's much better at his job than you. So when you've been unjustly accused or unjustly afflicted, the Lord will take up your cause. Trust the Lord. Be at peace. The Lord sees. The Lord knows. And the Lord will act. Just keep reading verse 59. You've seen the wrong done to me, O Lord. Judge my cause. You've seen all their vengeance, all their plots against me. You've heard their taunts, O Lord, all their plots against me. The lips and thoughts of my assailants are, all, are against me all the day long. Behold, they're sitting and they're rising. I am the object of their taunts. Do you hear what the poet is teaching us? God sees the wrongs that have been done. God hears the cry. And he will judge justly. So, friend, when your affliction comes at the hand of other men through persecution or mistreatment, call this truth to mind. You, you needn't be your own defender. You have a defender. And he sees and he knows. For nothing escapes his notice. Verse 64, you will repay them, O Lord, according to the work of their hands. You'll give them, 
You'll give them dullness of heart. Your curse will be on them. You will pursue them in anger and destroy them from under your heavens, O Lord. So here we are back at base camp with the poet. He's come down off the mountain. Now we're back at base camp. And he's assuring himself that the Lord will repay the work of the enemy's hands. While it was the Lord who brought the Babylonians against Judah, they were still holding the axe. And they will still be held responsible for the destruction they caused. And they were. Not long after the destruction of Jerusalem, almighty Babylon fell. And not because the inhabitants of Jerusalem charged the city, but the Lord did it in his way, in his timing. Behold the mystery of divine providence. And their judgment, I must say, is really severe. Verse 65. Their judgment is dullness of heart. A heart unresponsive to the Spirit of God. A heart unmoved in its affections for God. This is what sin does. This is what unrepentant sin causes. It dulls the affections of the heart and makes the sinner unresponsive to the conviction of the Holy Spirit. It is the worst judgment of all. Do you need hope this morning? Has suffering made hope hard to find? Are you struggling to believe the gospel is able to hold you? Call these truths to mind. Because Jesus Christ said nevertheless, you can say, the Lord is good. You can make the turn because he made it for you in Gethsemane. Because Jesus said, nevertheless, you know that your suffering will not harm you ultimately, but it will shape you. It will strengthen you. It will be used for your good. Because Jesus made the turn, you can. The Lord is your hope and your portion. And that cannot be taken from you with the Lord at your right hand. You needn't ever be afraid. Cancer can't take Jesus from you. No, it can't. Persecution can't take Jesus from you. Poverty can't take Jesus from you. Homelessness can't take Jesus from you. Loneliness can't take Jesus from you. Betrayal can't take Jesus from you. No enemy can take Jesus from you. He said nevertheless, his love is never going away. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Christian, you are His, and He is yours. And come what may, that will never change. 
It's a fact more certain than whether or not the sun will rise tomorrow morning. And you need to know that one day soon, one day very soon, that same Jesus will wipe away every tear from every eye and death will be no more and neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore. For the former things have passed away and all things will be made new. Great is his faithfulness. Let's pray. Father in heaven, would you please forgive us your children for our short-term memories. For gauging your love off of our circumstances instead of your son. Forgive us for having occupied our mind with things that we cannot understand or change. Help our unbelief. And Father, please be big in my people's lives this week. Teach them to call to mind these truths about you and and to trust you in their suffering. Teach my people to lay their lips in the dirt before they speak a word against you and to quiet their souls and to wait. Train their hearts to rejoice in suffering for the good that's coming from it and make us a happy people, a joyful people, walking through suffering in a way that brings glory to your name. For you are our hope and you are our portion and you will be forever. Amen. Would you please stand to your feet for the assurance of pardon? Having seen our sin in the scripture and confessed our sin before the Lord. Now we seek the Lord for an assurance that we have now been forgiven of those sins. And that assurance comes from the very chapter in which we've been considering. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. PBC, his mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is his faithfulness. Would you sing with us?